ஓரஞ்சனம் நித்தியம் அனந்தரூபம் பக்தானுக்கம்பாதிரிதவிகிரகம் வை ஈஷாவதாரம் பரமேஷமிடியம் சங்கிராமகிருஷ்ணம் சிரசாநமாம ஜனனிம் சாரதாம் தேவிம் ராமகிருஷ்ணம் ஜகத்குரும் பாதபத்மேத்தோஸ்ருணமாமி முகூர்மு நமஸ்ரீயதிராஜாயவேகானந்தசூரை சச்சிதுசுகஸ்வாமிநேதாபாரிணே now we will continue with your class on karma yoga so we were we are almost in the uh last uh, section we were almost in the last section of the third chapter of karma yoga <clears throat> that's uh, only the story was remaining a story uh, which is a very famous story of mahabharata so before uh, narrating that story uh, we will first have the synopsis of the entire chapter the secret of work the chapter 3 we will have a synopsis of the entire chapter and then we will conclude by narrating that story and what swami ji has to say in conclusion so <clears throat> we will uh, share the screen uh, to have the synopsis of the chapter the secret of karma yoga which is happens to be the ch- third chapter of karma yoga <clears throat> so the very beginning Uh, as you all may recollect that when we started this chapter the swami vivekananda started with the uh, idea of the hierarchy of various types of help whenever the question of helping others serving others come the all the ideas which we have generally is related to the physical help but we found in the very beginning swami vivekananda is saying that higher than the physical help is intellectual help and still higher than the intellectual help is the spiritual help so as per the hierarchy the spiritual help is the best help which can be provided to the society to any person next comes intellectual help and the most thought of help the physical help is the last one so why intellectual help is better than the physical help in the words of swami ji which we have already studied the gift of knowledge is a far higher gift than that of food and clothes it is even higher than giving life to a man because the real life of man consists of knowledge so in 
our uh, just to understand it we can say that if you feed a person for one day his or hunger is appeased just for a day but if you teach that person agriculture his or hunger is appeased forever so to enable a man to equip a person to stand on his own feet or her own feet is of course a higher type of health than just a mere physical health so that's what swamiji is indicating after that he is indicating but still higher gift is the spiritual health that why in his own words spiritual knowledge is the only thing that can destroy our miseries forever any other knowledge satisfies once only for a time so the same idea we find is actually being stated in the bhagavad gita where bhagwan is indicating the state of sthita pragya by indicating in one of the shlokas among the various uh, characteristics this is the thing which is indicating what yang labdhwa chaparan labham manyate nadhikam tatah yasmin sthito na dukhena gurunaapi vichalyate the spiritual state is such a state having gained that state one does not consider any attainment to be greater being thus established one is not shaken even in the midst of the greatest calamity so if uh, that we can be pure spiritually strong then the external calamities remains as it is it's not that uh, by growing spiritually we can get rid of the external calamities it's not that by growing spiritually we can get rid of all the dualities in the form of pleasure and pain the happenings of life remains as it is uh we won't say remains it at it remains as it is of course we improve the more you become calm the more you get equipped to deal with the situations of life in a better way and of course to certain extent you have control over the happenings of life but that's to certain extent even if you go spiritually jara vyadhi mrityu this is the facts of life the disease old age death old age disease death <clears throat> these are all waiting for a spiritual man as well as a sinner the saint the sinner all has to follow the same path so we cannot think of having the highest state of existence in this plane of existence in this material plane of existence it has its own way of decay death is waiting so the happenings of life though to certain extent with the spiritual growth can be controlled but we can never think of creating heaven on earth as per its the permanent solution is concerned so there the spiritual growth means to transcend the situation the dualities of life in the form of pleasure pain happiness misery these are all inevitables in life so i transcend them how i transcend by getting established in my own real nature 
I recognize the fact, I realize the fact that I am not this psychophysical existence. This body-mind complex is a flow. <clears throat> it is passing through the various phases of life. Jayate as the six vikaras, which has been spoken of in the scriptures. Jayate asti vardhate, viparinamate, apakshyate nasti. That we are born, we exist for some time, we grow. And then the transformation starts in the middle age. Then the process of decay starts and then the death is there. So these six changes are inevitable for the body-mind, complex. But I am something beyond that. I am not this body-mind complex. Once when it becomes a palpably realized fact, in the words of Shankaracharya, like a fruit in your hand, the way you see it, the way you feel it, that spiritual truth has become that palpable. Then the happenings of life doesn't affect you. You transcend that. So those who help us by delivering that knowledge, by helping us to get established in that knowledge, by showing us the way to reach that state of existence, they're the greatest benefactors of mankind. So making men pure and spiritually strong is the greatest help. As we find that Swami Vivekananda is giving example that however, as for the physical help is concerned, we may go on building, building charity asylums, hospitals, but they won't be of any avail unless we, the, the, the humankind is taught, is equipped to be spiritually strong. You will find in the present day, all the chari charity asylums at last uh, becomes the place of shelter for all those who have got uh, drug addicts, it's not always that uh, it is just the poor. You will find that especially in the uh, developed nations, the poverty is something which has to do with our character, orientation. It has nothing to do with the real state of existence. There's almost uh, this, all the developed nations to certain extent our welfare state where the state to a certain extent takes care of its citizen. And that would have been sufficient for our day-to-day -day bare existence. But in spite of that, we find many homeless, many people staying on the street. And that has to do with the, their nature, their character. Somehow, unfortunately, they got exposed to such certain background of existence, which they thought to an easy way to happiness. And that led to ultimate misery and dejection. And so we find that if we could have equipped the human humankind with proper knowledge, proper education, proper awareness, most probably they would have not been in a situation to avail all those charity asylums. There was no need. There was no need for hospitals if we were aware of the lifestyle diseases. But in the modern day, 99% of the diseases are lifestyle diseases. Change your food habit, change your lifestyle, 
and you will find that 99% of the disease is gone. The drug dependence at present, we find, is not required to a great extent. Drugs are required. We cannot totally deny it. There, there are emergency situations. There are situations where the hospitalization is needed. We cannot deny it. The modern medical system has really done a great job by, uh, by advancing through the research to the present state of its existence. We find a lot of criticism against it, but we cannot deny the fact that they are needed. We have to, we may be criticizing them, but we ourselves have to avail them when the need is there. But we can make that need the minimum. At the time, at present day, because of our, this lifestyle, very, uh, what do you say that the lifestyle, which is very fast, which is full of obsessions and stress, all those obsessions, stress, if we can get rid of with a proper lifestyle, we will find that 99, not half, 99% of the so-called diseases for which we are resorting to drugs is not required, for which we are resorting to medical treatment is not required. So these hospitals, instead of hospitals, which is the physical help, if we can make the humankind spiritually strong, make them pure, then this problem is solved in a much better way. The problem is taken care of in a much better way. So that's what Swamiji is indicating at the very beginning of his lecture by saying that the spiritual help is the greatest help. Next comes intellectual and the last, but not the least, that is also required in the emergency situation. The physical help is also required. <clears throat> when, to give an example, suddenly there is a flood. We cannot say why the people have not equipped themselves previously for the flood. We have, we have nothing to do. At that time, we have to go to the, say we have to deal with the situation, go to this uh, spot and help out the peoples who are really in distress. But how we can help them permanently if certain areas are flood prone, we can instruct them in building up the villages in such a way that even if the flood is there, they are least affected. To have houses built in such a way that the ground floor is just standing on pillars. There is no, uh, there is no uh, uh, accommodation there. No one stays there because it's a flood prone area. So you build the house on quite long pillars. So even if the flood is there, that you, your accommodation is in no way affected. The school building is there to give protection. I've seen in India, and actually Ramakrishna Mission uh, does that type of relief, the distress relief for not only the physical help. You go for uh, helping the people by developing those knowledge, by skills, so that they can equip themselves in future as those are the flood prone area. I've seen that the tube well are actually have to uh, get up the stairs. It's in a high platform so that when the flood is there, you still have access to the drinking water. You rise up the platform and you still have the access to the tube well. So all these simple measures, which speaks of knowledge, that's the intellectual help. We can that help them in a much better way than the physical help. 
So, but physical help is needed for the emergency situation. When I am already in distress, at that time, I cannot speak of intellectual and spiritual help. I have to move out with all the physical help necessary. But that cannot be the be all and end all of the service. We have to equip them in such a way that they deal with the situation much better. And they need not have to depend on others. They can do it in a self-reliant way. And the best thing is once we have a stable society, we can think of spiritual evolution so that all the insufficiencies of life can be dealt with with a higher perspective, with a higher paradigm. So after speaking of this hierarchy of the various types of health, then Swami Vivekananda ascertains that why spiritual reformation is the best because it is in the modern uh, so the modern uh, language is bottom to top reformation. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, what's bottom to top? Just let us take an example. Just if you are attempting to ban drugs, there are so many movements where we find the people are going and saying that the government is not taking sufficient measure to ban drugs. But if you study uh, our this the political scenario for the last few decades, actually very severe measures were taken to ban drugs. And what happened? Immediately, the mafia came into existence. When the drug was not available in the open market, it was smuggled. It came with, and, uh, to give protection to all those who are involved in the smuggling. There are the mafias, there are big dons. They can even interact with the counteract with the police and the huge social turmoil takes place. We find that constantly the government has to think of uh, making its own security system more sophisticated to deal with those mafias. And the entire social structure becomes chaotic. So that was top to bottom reformation. The government tried to impose laws, impose regulations, increase the security, increase the police force, that was from top to bottom. Instead of doing that, already many attempts has been taken and it has been to a great extent successful. Just think the way the smoking was a, something, a part of our culture, even 20, 30 years back. Now we find it is almost, it has become something uh, almost obsolete. Yes, people do smoke, but it is no more a part of a culture it's no more a fad of the day. How it has happened? Just by developing awareness. Various awareness camps were there in schools, colleges, to explain the students, to explain the young generation, the ill effects of consuming, of having tobacco. And we find it took some time. It was not an immediate, but in some 10, 20 years, the problem has been solved. So that was bottom to top. If you just grow, it helped people to grow awareness, growing awareness, then the market falls off automatically. You need not have to. You need not have to impose laws. If I don't resort to drugs, if no one resort to drugs, what can the mafia do? What can this smuggled market do? That is the market which is illegal, that, can, that, can, that cannot sell their products. 
So, so all the reformation, when it is from bottom to top, that speaks of the strength which you are giving to the humankind. The strength doesn't lie with the government then. The strength goes to the mass, to the common people, if they become spiritually strong, morally strong. So the reformation is a better reformation if it is from bottom to top. That's what is being indicated as the spiritual reformation, which is the bottom to top reformation with Swami Vivekananda in his own words, the only solution of this problem is to make mankind pure. Ignorance is the mother of all the evil and all the misery we see. Let men have light. Let them be pure and spiritually strong and educated. Then alone will misery cease in the world, not before. Now, after speaking of this spiritual reformation as a bottom to top reformation. Then Swamiji is speaking of in this lecture, the process, what's the process for bottom to top reformation? The process is resorting to neuroplasticity. Uh, previously we thought that what brain that uh, our, uh, the brain we have, brain which is the organ through which the mind is working. The mind is something non-local. It is not within our body. It is just the way when you are watching the TV. The TV is something local. It is like <clears throat> the brain. It is like the body. But the transmission is non-local. The transmission, if your TV uh, breaks, is TV this because of some fault, the TV is not working. If you just buy a new TV and replace it, the same channel which you were watching, the same picture comes. So why? Because the transmission is on. It's only the TV which got damaged. So our brain, our body, our brain is like that TV, the TV set. But the mind is something like the transmission center. It is non-local. Through that mind is finding expression through the brain. So as it finds expression through the brain, the brain also has something to do with the way it expresses the mind. So what's the uh, thing with this, which we previously thought of the brain? The brain is something which we have got at the time of birth that is fixed. Nothing can be changed. It only degenerates. Like any other equipment, like a TV, it degenerates. The brain also is just a machine, it degenerates. But now the modern neurological findings say that throughout our life, we can actually build up the brain. Constantly this wiring is going on in the brain. That the neurons that fire together, wires together. This is one of the very common adage, common quotation in modern neurology. That constantly, by trying to change our habits, we can totally transform our character and we can get rid of the old ones. The common example just we can give that how the brain works, how we can mold our nature, that from bottom to top reformation speaks of our own purity, our own transformation. How can I transform myself? I have some ways of life which I find is not ideal. It is not helping me. How to get rid of them? 
how to build some new habits. Now, the, as we told, then the neuroplasticity is something which works throughout our life. That's the way our brain works. To give the example of neuroplasticity, how it works, suppose there are two villages and you have to travel from one village to the other for some purpose. Previously, no one has traveled. There was no need. And now there's some particular need. I have to travel from one village to the other. So what I do, I clear up the jungle. I clear up the forest, create a road, go to the next village. Now, what will be my tendency? The next day, I won't create another new node, new road. The road which has already been created, now my tendency will be to travel through that road. So that's what is happening constantly in our mind. When I find that the old ways of life is actually harming me, I have to change my habits. We shouldn't be discouraged by thinking that it is not possible. Yes, the process of cleansing of the forest to clear the road is tedious, but once it's done, now your natural tendency, there is no struggle now, it becomes your spontaneous nature to traverse that path. Now you have wired up your brain in a new way. And not only that, as you start traversing that, the old paths starts to vanish. How you know that in the park you will find that if you are just uh, using a traversing the one path <clears throat> day after day, not only you, all the people, the grass dries out and a pathway is produced. And if you stop walking, if some uh, this government official comes and they say that, please don't use this path. We have to build some uh, green belt here. Some trees will be built. So this path has to be avoided. And you will find within a few days, the grass which was withered away to create the road, again, the grass is growing and you won't find any trace of that road anymore. So once you start traversing through the new path and stop traversing to the old path, the old path in no time vanishes. It's no more there. You, there's no question of traversing. Now this new path is there for you where traversing has become spontaneous. You don't have to <clears throat> really exert for that. And that's how we can transform our nature. It's constantly happening in our mind. It's possible. And that's what Swami Vivekananda is indicating as a process of bottom to top reformation. In his words, if a man thinks good thoughts and does good works, the sum total of these impressions will be good and they will force him to do good even in spite of himself. When such is the case, a man's good character is said to be established. And then he gives an example from Bhagavad Gita. As the tortoise tucks its feet and head inside the shell, and you may kill it and break it in pieces, and yet it will not come out. Even so, the character of the man who has control over his motives and organs is unchangeably established. So as has been said in the Bhagavad Gita, Yada Sangharate Chayam Kurmongani Vasarvasha Indriyan Indriyarthibhya So whose wisdom 
is steadfast, is established. The one who like the tortoise, the same thing which Swamiji is saying. Actually, Swamiji is quoting from Bhagavad Gita. So you know that when the tortoise withdraws its senses, sensing some danger, some peril outside, it withdraws the senses. Now, if they, even someone goes and hurts the tortoise, it's not going to uh, move out its limbs. Once it has withdrawn, till it feels the danger is over. It is not going to withdraw its limbs, even if it's killed. So such becomes your reflex. At present, my reflex is such. My, because of my old understanding, the old ways of life has created some reflex which lures me, which drags me out to the various uh, temptations of life. Once I understand that it is in no way helping me, it is disintegrating me, I can change, I can create new neural paths where the same situation, where my reflection was to move out, now it will be just the opposite. The reflex will be, the spontaneous reflex will be to withdraw within. And that is possible. Even the modern neurology, the modern neurological science is, affirms to this fact. And that's why we find that in the West, so many experiments are done in the modern education. The marshmallow experiment, which we spoke of, where we find the child who has the capacity to delay their gratification, he excels in life much better than the other children. It's not the IQ. Because the one who has the capacity to delay the gratification, they are not short-sighted. They cannot be lured with the short-term games. Renunciation is not something negative. That uh, I renounce for nothing. Actually, I am renouncing something small, something for something greater waiting for me. So the short-term games, I'm not myopic. I'm not short-sighted. I just, it's my focus is not only on that. I see some long-term game waiting for me. And for that, I renounce the trivial, this gains, the so-called apparent gains, which are all short-term benefits of life. I renounce the short-term gains for the long-term gains. That is the real renunciation. And for that, that type of pragya has to be established. And that's the only process for bottom to top reformation, where we can actualize all our potentialities. The self-actualization, the marshmallow, the father of, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Abraham Maslow, the father of this modern uh, psychology, the positive psychology, they say, uh, Abraham Marshall is to be the father. He actually spoke of uh, the positive psychology in his way. From his ideas, actually, the other ideas of the positive psychology has evolved. So he's the father of the positive psychology. So in the language of Marsh, uh, Abraham Marshall, uh, Abraham Maslow is that Maslow is uh, that self-actualization, we should all go for self-actualization, that we have the potentiality in our life. All this potentiality has to be realized, has to be manifested. And how it can be done? Through this neuroplasticity. We can self-actualize, we can realize the potentiality. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, how that neuroplasticity 
can ensue, can start in our life with the help of three P, purity, patience, perseverance. In some other talk, he has spoken of this, not in this talk, but three P. If this three, that purity, I try to keep myself pure. It's not easy. I will be again and again almost dragged to the old ways of life. So I need perseverance. The again and again I'm dragged, again, bring me back to my new way of life. And it needs, you have to do it with perseverantly and you have to have patience. It is not going to happen in a day. There is no so-called shortcut remedy in spiritual life. It's a gradual process. It takes time. Sometimes that change is not at all visible. Just the way a coarse rock lying in the bed of a river. Anytime if you see it, there is no change visible. The water is flowing over it. You find that stay the same rough rock stone piece is there lying. There's no change. There's no visible change. But actually the change is happening. In hundreds of years, in hundreds of years, maybe in 100 or 200 years, or sometimes if it is the very soft rock in some 50, 60 years, that all the angularities has been smoothened out. It has become something as very smooth, just like a shivalinga, a plain rock, a plain stone piece. But at any point of time, no change was visible. So it doesn't mean that there was no change happening. It was happening, but it was a very slow process. So we have to be persevering. The flow should go on. The flow of good thought should go on in spite of our tendency to go back to the old ways of life. We should again and again perseveringly try to resort to that pure life and we should have patience. So this purity, patience and perseverance can lead to that neuroplasticity, ultimately leading to that self-actualization. You become a totally different person. Your total personality gets overhauled. You find that you are now an effective person, a productive person who has something to give to the society. And that change has came from within, not by imposing something. So that's what Swami is indicating. Now, after saying all those things, we may think that, yes, once we become spiritually evolved, then there is no, no such problem in life. Once we become morally evolved, that all the problems gets annihilated. But here now Swamiji brings into our awareness the nature of all actions. That however I may try, we can never create heaven on earth. In the words of Ramakrishna, this world is like a dog's curly tail. However you try to straighten it, it never gets straightened. As long as you're holding it, it appears to be straight. And then the moment you release again, it is the same curly tail. It never gets straightened. So why it, why it is so? Because the nature of all actions, in the words of Swamiji, in this lecture, he mentioned that all work is by nature composed of good and evil. We cannot do any work which will not do some good somewhere. There cannot be any work which will not cause some harm somewhere. Every work must necessarily be a mixture of good and evil. So we took many examples to understand these words of Swamiji. That you know that 
we give so much importance to hygiene. And now you will find that our immune system has got extremely weak. With all our good intentions for hygiene, what has happened? The small child should not pick up dirt. There, a child, if you leave it free, it has a natural tendency not to pick up, not only to pick up dirt, it will even put it in its mouth. It's a very natural tendency. And so now we keep them in a very clean house. Do not allow them to go and just meddle with the, mingle with the dust. But in the process, what we have done, we have actually been, we were quite short-sighted. We never understood the way we have evolved. The more we are near to the nature, the nature has its own way. When the small child is left alone, it picks up some dirt and puts it in its mouth. It of course gets sick, but it is building up its immune system by constantly fighting with all the so-called the microbes, which he's in, in taking. And the immune system is growing by fighting against all the small doses of this, all these antigens, of all, all those microbes. It is constantly growing its immune system. So in spite of all our good effort with good intentions for the hygiene, you will find that now this, this anaphylaxis, uh, which speaks of this nut allergy, it can be so severe. Previously, uh, you have never heard of it. It's all the modern developments, which has something to do with a weak immune system because of too much care of hygiene. You will find, in, if you read the history, whenever any society, whenever any civilization has become highly cultured and suddenly some barbarians attack and the total culture is gone. With the culture, we become physically weak. When everything in the society is stable, we forget that some untoward incidences may happen and just totally disrupt the society. And we become weak, easily become vulnerable to the barbarians. It has happened again and again. So this culture, you find the attack of bar barbarians, the th for all the drug, drugs, all the addictions at present, the drug addiction, Actually, they were all intended for some therapeutic purpose. In small doses, when they were used under control, under supervision uh, of the doctor, of the medical team, it had some therapeutic effect. It was used as the painkillers. And now you will find that as uh, that people have started resorting to it without proper supervision, without medical guidance, just for addiction, what a rampant, this addiction has become a problem in the present society. So with all the good intentions, you find always, you can never think of having all good. It's always intermingled with some evil. The antibiotics have resulted in the antibiotic resistance. Industrialization has resulted in the climate change. With all your self-actualization, you get a good job and then you find you are in severe office politics. So this is the nature of all our work. So is it that we should get disheartened? So here Swamiji says, no, that self-actualization is not the final achievement in life, the final goal in life. The final goal is self-transcendence. That when 
through self-actualization, you have realized, you have already placed yourself in a situation where you have tried your best with all your faculties, which God has given you, you find that nothing as such of permanent reformation can happen in this world, then the renunciation, the dispassion comes. But that dispassion doesn't mean that we should be totally apathetic towards the society and towards the work which we are doing. Then the total society, the total social fabric will fall off. Even I myself cannot sustain myself. I cannot sustain myself by just simply renouncing the job. As in the last, when we were discussing, we were mentioning, if I am in a job place, workplace, where I find the situation is not very favorable. There's a lot of politics going on, bossing going on unnecessarily. I cannot leave the job. I have my family, I have to maintain the family, I have to continue with the job. Then how I do it? Seek not, avoid not. That become dispassionate. No, this is the nature of the world. However you try, you cannot change it. So now the real dispassion comes that let the flow go on. But I, the real self, by resorting to your real nature, which is beyond this uh, small expanse of life. I was there before my birth. I'm going to be there after my death. I, my existence is unceasing. It is in always eternal present. There is, while it is in eternal present, the real me never goes any transformation. All the question of past, present, future comes only when there is a transformation. That I was young, now I am old. With the passage of the question of time comes when there is a transformation. If you are the same always, the time falls off. There's the eternal present. The real me is beyond transformation. It is in the eternal present. Nothing can affect it. So I become the witness. I no more identify with my day-to-day -day activities. I become the witness. The things goes on. Because if I stop it, the entire fabric will fall off. So it goes on. Because with this entire fabric, many, uh, this, the entire humankind is in various stages of evolution. I may be in a state to just give off my life with a total dispassion, without feeling any suffering for it. But others are not in that state. But my relinquishing of the work will be at the cost of suffering of the others. So I cannot just simply leave it off. I cannot have liberation when the others are suffering. Because if the entire existence is a collective whole, how can there be my liberation when the others are suffering? It has to be a collective effort where they all are taken together to that same ideal, same realization. So that empathy comes to the picture. It has to be, I cannot simply say that I forsake all. So I have to continue. How? Seek not, avoid not. Now this brings us to a situation where we may feel that are we to at last become like an automaton, like a robot? That just a robot has no expectations. It has been programmed in such a way. It just responds to a particular stimuli in such programmed way. Am I to become like that? So here Swamiji again at last brings, no. If we think that dispassion is something 
which is going to convert as something like a veggie which doesn't respond to any external stimulus or to like an automaton or like a robot again we are doing the mistake the real way out is the self transcendence through detachment that's what we told in the words liberation means entire freedom freedom from the bondage of good as well as from the bondage of evil a golden chain is as much a chain as an iron one there is a thorn in my finger and i use another to take the first one out and when i've taken it out i throw both of them i have no necessity for keeping the second thorn because both are thorns after all so the bad tendencies are to be counteracted by the good ones and the bad impressions on the mind should be removed by the fresh waves of the good ones until all that is evil almost disappears or is subdued and is held in control in the corner of my mind but after that the good tendencies also has to be conquered thus the attached become the unattached work but let not the action or the thought produce a deep impression on the mind let the ripples come and go let huge actions proceed from the muscles and the brain but let them not make any deep impression on the soul so that's the entire thing in the words of swami ji in some other lectures seek not avoid not so that's the way we that let the muscles the brain the huge action is proceeding from them but let them not make any deep impression on the soul so that does it entail that we becomes like an automaton no then swami ji is bringing the idea that real detachment ensues from love first let us read the words of swami ji and then we will try to understand that how love can come from real detachment work through freedom work through love the word love is very difficult to understand love never comes until there is freedom <clears throat> there is no true love possible in the slave if you buy a slave and tie him down in chains and make him work for you he will work like a drudge but there will be no love in him so if i find that the office politics or the situation of life is forcing me to work i have no way that makes me slave then you may say what's the way out by changing the attitude that we will come to that that swamiji is indicating that the thing that we can change our attitude and we can become the master of the situation instead of thinking ourselves to be the slave <clears throat> so when we ourselves work <clears throat> for the things of the world as slaves there can be no love in us <clears throat> and our work is not true work this is true of work done for relatives and friends and is true of work done for our own selves selfish work is slave's work and there is a test or the test every act of love brings happiness there is no act of love which does not bring peace and blessedness as its reaction so you may say that how is it possible actually but the, how the question from the dispassion from dispassion love comes actually dispassion picks up a situation like a psychopath how can love come from that it is actually the dispassion is not something uh which you are forcing yourself from dejection it's actually by relating to that higher plane of existence that if uh god is the cause of the creation 
myself, even the self, the non-dual self, from which this existence have came into being, how it came, we don't know, but it is a fact that it has came into existence <clears throat> from that absolute reality. How it came, I don't know, it is our ignorance, but it has came. And when it is here, when it has came, when it is existing, we find it follows certain laws. It follows certain laws. That one who is beyond law, when finds expression through the phenomenon, is finding expression through some laws. In Sanskrit, it is called rhythm. The ultimate reality is finding expression as rhythm. Rhythm is satya, that is truth. You cannot, what is truth which cannot be modified, which cannot be changed. The laws cannot be changed. To give you an example, uh, the gravitation is a law. Just by saying that I don't believe in gravitation, you're not going to fly. If you jump out of a 20-story building, you're going to crash and die. It's, there is, it is uh, irrespective of the fact whether you believe in gravitation or not. So similarly, there are some moral laws that are not make-beliefs. We think compassion is my choice. Empathy is my choice. No. It's the law of nature. Once that ultimate reality finds expression as the universe, you will find it finds expression as yagya, as a collective work, as a teamwork, where all are dependent on each other. All are taking care of particular aspect of the teamwork, but where they all cooperate together to sustain the entire creation. This entire creation is interdependent. And that's why we will find love is all is something uh, already implanted in us. When the mother cannot help herself without help, without loving the child, love is implanted. Why? The plan of the creation is such. When I see a beggar, immediately I give some, uh, some dollars as a help. I feel the compassion is, I who have that compassion, no. That seeing the beggar, the compassion which comes from within is the plan of the universe. It is built in us. We could have been built in such a way where that compassion wouldn't have welled up. It's not my will by which it is welling up, it wells up. So this is the plan of the universe, that love is something which is implanted in me by some higher force to take care of the universe. So I am just an instrument to a total detached way that love which I give is not mine. I'm just the channel. So there's no question of expectation. There's no question of getting anything back in return. I don't think of any expectation, any reward. And my love, my so-called, I open up the channel through which the collective love is flowing. I open up that channel and express myself through the, all my actions. What the world gives me, I'm not bothered. Whether I get kicks, whether I get abusive language, I'm not bothered. Why I'm not bothered? Because it is not my problem. It is the problem of the other person. If anyone is abusive, if, if the boss is abusive, it is his problem. It is not my problem. It is he or she who has uh, uh, developed such temperament because of certain type of upbringing. For that, I have compassion. He or she was not exposed to the proper environment where he or she could have really uh, developed that empathy, that compassion that had got obliterated 
that had got restricted, constricted. So I feel sympathetic. I don't get angry. I feel I just keep me in his position and think, oh, such a poor soul he is. He has to behave in that way because of the upbringing. If I was in that position, most probably I also would have been the same character. So I can have compassion for all, whatever may be the situation. Our con that's, that's why we find that Jesus is worshipped until now. So many years have passed. That one act of forgiving the entire humankind, even when he was crucified, is asking God for forgiveness. What a wonderful inspiration that single act has given to the humankind that he is. That tremendous passion is there you find those who believe in Christ to follow that because of single, that, sing, that single act which culminates his uh, this period of prophecy that gives that idea that love is something which cannot be obstructed by any even when the people are killing you is abusing you still you can have that love once you become the channel, once you become the son of God, when you know we are all son of God, once we become aware of it, it is through us. It's God's love, compassion is flowing. And then we can become totally dispassionate. So in a wonderful tone, Swamiji is ending the lecture. That how that we evolve through our life. How that bottom to top reformation first brings self-actualization, at last enables us for self Transcendence. We transcend the so-called petty self to get established in a real self. And to end the entire this discussion, Swamiji now resorts to the story that how detachment actually speaks, ensues from love. And that love entails in service. And that service leads to sacrifice. And that sacrifice leads to self-abnegation. It's a story which Swami Vivekananda is narrating from the Mahabharata. The picture which I have kept here will give you an indication the story what it is is a story of the mongoose which was half golden and half its own color the gray color and the half was golden so after the mahabharata war when the rajasuriya yagya was going on yudhishthira was going to be declared as the emperor of the entire world so then we find in that yagya in that uh, ceremony lot of gift was given that huge wealth was offered to the poor that to all the citizens who were in need golds were given uh, this horses cows those were the currencies in those days the horses cows these they were they used to indicate your prosperity so gold horses cows all these were given to the people in that yagya and they suddenly they saw a mongoose came there who is half golden, half its original color, the gray color. And it was just tumbling around in the place of that yagya, where the ceremony has taken place. And he declared, this is no yagya, no sacrifice at all. Always surprised. How can you say it is not a sacrifice? Such a huge amount of wealth is just simply being given away. How can you say it is not a sacrifice? Then he related to that story that once a terrible famine was going on and in a village, a man who was a 
Brahmin, whose only profession was to teach and preach. He was living with his wife and he had his son and the son also was married, was having his wife. These four were staying together. And because of the famine, this man had no food for three days. And at last, he somehow managed to get some flour. Uh, and with that, he returned home so that some bread can be prepared and they can feed after three days. And now, when the bread, when the bread was ready, they were about to just sit for their food. They, they heard the knock in their door. There was a knock. And they opened, they found a guest standing there. The word guest in Sanskrit is atithi. Atithi, the very interesting word. <clears throat> atithi means the one whose, there is no particular time for who is coming. There is no tithi. There is no date. There is no day. There is no particular time. There is no tithi. Tithi in Sanskrit, you know, means uh, a particular, the, the date of a, the, a particular date as per the lunar calendar is called tithi. So the one who is a tithi is negating that, uh, tithi is negating the negating tithi is a tithi. That one who has no time. In the olden days, uh, in the guest may come anytime and you should be prepared to serve him. So part of the food was always kept that some guest may come. So if he comes to feed him, a part of the food was always kept. So that was the idea of Atithi. Even the word guest in English has almost the same meaning. You know how the word guest came? Suppose a person comes and knocks your door and can I take another five, 10 minutes? It will be over as I'm going to just complete the chapter. So when a guest comes and when someone comes and knocks your door and you open and you at the first sight, you don't recognize him because most probably after a long time he has visited. And then you are a bit puzzled. You are a bit quizzed. You are just thinking, who is he? And then the person who knocked your door, he asks, he, he anticipates, he understands, he senses that you have not recognized. He says, guess who? <laughs> and you guess very hard. And at last you said, yes, guessed. You have guessed from the word guessed or guessed. Came. So it is almost as uh, equivalent to Atithi. So, so this Atithi arrived without any announcement. And he says, I'm terribly hungry. For 10 days, I haven't had any food. And... Uh, Please feed me. Now that was the tradition that if the guest comes, first all our preferences has to uh, is to serve him. So immediately the man, the villager, the man who went out for begging, the pandit, he offered his share. And now the man said that my what you have done is something more horrible. It has actually aggravated my hunger. It is just like an appetizer. I need more. And then the wife told, take my share. The husband objected. He says, I am Sahadharmini. I am supposed to follow the dharma which you are 
following. I'm Sadharmani. I'm, I'm there to compliment you with all my actions in our life. That's how that we vowed. So she comes and she shares. Seeing him, the son now, that now the hunger is yet to be appeased. He wants more. The son gives away his share. The hunger is still not appeased. The son's wife also gives away the share. And the Atithi, the guest, leaves now. And this four people, this person, without food, they were already without food for three, four days. And now that without food at night, all the four of them die, pass away. And only a few grains of cereals of the floor, which the Brahmin begged, that was lying in the ground of the kitchen, the floor of the kitchen. And this mongoose came and rolled over that and the half of the body became golden. And now after that, he was in search of another sacrifice where the remaining half also gets golden, also gets transformed into gold. And now hearing this huge sacrifice, he came, he rolled on the sacrifice ground, nothing happened. And that's why he declared it's nothing. So such a high ideal of self-abnegation was kept in front of the Vedic society, which comes from detachment. So the householder and the sannyasi both are established in that same detachment. The way of expression is different, but ideal is the same. The way it is finds the expression is different, but the same ideal, the detachment. Now you will understand how from the real love that detachment, from detachment, the real love comes that leads to the service, service sacrifice, self-abnegation. To conclude this study of the third chapter, in the last paragraph uh, which in the, of Swami Vivekananda, Swami Vivekananda's words, let us conclude today's class. We will read out the last paragraph of this chapter, which Swamiji is speaking out as a conclusion. Now we see what, what karma yoga means, even at the point of death to help anyone, without asking questions. Be cheated millions of times and never ask a question and never think of what you are doing. Never want of your gifts to the poor or expect their gratitude, but rather be grateful to them for giving you the occasion of practicing charity to them. Thus it is plain that to be an ideal householder is as much more difficult task than to be an ideal sannyasin. The true life of work is indeed as hard as, if not harder than, the equally true life of renunciation. So thank you. With this, we stop our discussion uh, today. And just please wait, I have an announcement. Let me just uh, stop sharing the screen and then I will just have an announcement.